0: A word from the Lord. Thanks, brother. Father's Day and a passage about pigs. It must be bacon on the agenda. It's, um, <laughs> plenty of that this morning. I had a little bit of that this morning. I hope uh, uh, you were able to as well. Uh, we're going to have a look at that uh, that section of scripture and try and tie it all together. Uh, and we want to start by thinking about crowds. People join a crowd for all sorts of reasons. Uh, You've uh, remembered me saying here from the front before that earlier in the year uh, we were able to go and see Ed Sheeran play a large crowd, nearly 90,000 people watching that and he told the story of how uh, he was playing just a few years earlier his guitar to 10 or 12 people in a lounge room and now 90,000 people in a stadium. But once you get to an event of that size, there are people that are attending for all sorts of different reasons, aren't there? There are some that have the hardcore followers. They've actually followed him from the minute he was in the lounge room all the way through to the present day. Then there are others who have heard one or two songs on the radio and think that might be a good night out for them. And then there are others who just go along, they don't actually know what they're talking about or who this person is on stage, but they have a bunch of friends going, so they sort of follow as well. And Then there's the corporates who have a corporate box at the event and don't really care about what's taking place. you can be in a crowd for all sorts of reasons. I remember about five years ago, our family was in a, on a holiday in Japan, and we were in uh, Osaka. And uh, we don't speak the language, obviously. We we're in a large tower right up the top of the city, uh, watching down at what was taking place in the city of Osaka. And all these people, like ants, were kind of all traveling in a similar direction. We thought, I wonder where they're going. No idea where they're going. So we went down in the lift and just decided to keep following wherever they were going. Who knows where they were going, could have been the Pied Piper off the edge of the cliff and all the rest of it, but it turns out that it was a couple of hundred thousand people all gathering in a tsunami overflow river, uh, riverbed, uh, for a large fireworks display. I'm still not sure what it was about, but the fireworks display went for about an hour and a half, Uh, much better than the the carols when we get here, that's okay, but uh, an hour and a half, you can't beat that. Uh, And there we were, following along for no apparent reason. These people we see in this passage had been following Jesus for a long period of time. And the crowd was getting larger and larger. Last week we saw Jesus heal many people. Before that we saw the Sermon on the Mount. And it would seem like the crowd is expanding greater and greater all the time. And we're not quite sure why everybody is following Jesus. Why are they following along with him? Is it about what he can provide? Is it about what he says? Is it about what he does? Or is it just a crowd following a crowd? I'm sure there's a little bit of all of this as we dive into this passage this morning. But what we'll see as we go through this passage this morning is us asking the question, why do you follow Jesus? See, there are all sorts of reasons why you might follow Jesus as well. Some of them legitimate, but perhaps others not so much. We can follow Jesus because we know who he is in our heart. We know the content of the gospel message and we follow him strongly. But it's possible that we follow Jesus because a crowd carries a crowd. We like the people we're walking along with or it's just what we've always done. And here this passage really gets us to question, what is the heart of what it means to follow Jesus? And We're going to look at it in three separate scenes, considering what it means to follow Jesus in three different ways. As as always, there will be a question and answer time after the sermon, so you can ask a question there. Uh, Slido.com hashtag is HBSP if you want to ask a question along the way. I'm going to pray. Please have your Bible open and we'll have a look together at these three sections of Matthew's Gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning. We always need your help to hear your word and to put it into practice. Your Spirit will guide us in this way. So please uh, do as you have promised and speak through me to your people, for our good, and for your glory. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, there's a big crowd, and we don't know the size of it, but it's getting bigger. Look at verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. To go to the, the other side, to get away from the crowd. That's an interesting approach, isn't it? But to go over the sea and over to the other side is the intention of Jesus here to get away from the crowd. But before he can, he's interrupted. Interrupted by two men. Two men who show us what it means to consider following Jesus and counting the costs. Look at the man in verse 19. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher! I will follow you wherever you go. He's enthusiastic. Jesus is about to get in the boat and take off to the other side. He says, I'll come wherever you go. Many of you know I've got uh, two Cavalier King Charles Spaniels in the the backyard (laughs) at our place. And one of them has separation anxiety. I was washing the dog the other day and one of them was getting washed and getting dried outside with a towel. Uh, It was probably a pretty pathetic looking thing that I was doing. But I was drying her with the towel and the other one was inside. And screaming at me, I want to be out there with you, I want to be out there with you, just let me out, let me out. She's screaming inside the house at me, such a needy dog. And this man reminds me of that, that needy dog, Jesus, I just need to be with you, I'll, I'll come with you wherever it is that you go. Now think about this for me. Imagine if this happened today, someone responded and said, "Oh, I'll follow Jesus. That by itself would be wonderful, wouldn't it? More and more people choosing to follow Jesus. We would say that's fantastic, that's awesome. But if they had a great level of enthusiasm as well, all the better. How wonderful it would be to have more and more people like this following Jesus day after day after day after day. But what does Jesus do? Well, he puts the brakes on the man, doesn't he? stops him for a moment. Just temper your enthusiasm, mate. I've got something to tell you. Verse 20. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus lays down almost a proverb here, isn't it? And and the proverbs we've seen throughout the book of Ecclesiastes in our Bible study groups are, are things you need to stop wrestle with, chew over, understand. It's almost like a bit of a riddle that the message comes out over time. And here Jesus is saying in proverbial form to this man, Are you sure you want to follow me? Because following me is following in my footsteps. And following in my footsteps means life is going to be hard. I've got nowhere to lay my head. I'm homeless. Are you ready for that? Well, the second encounter with the second man is the same, but just from a different angle. Verse 21, Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. This man says, I will follow you, Jesus. but Just let me get these other things sorted out first, and then I'll come and follow you. Jesus says, famously in verse 22, Jesus said to him, Follow me. And leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, I know for lots of people this seems very harsh, doesn't it? Why so harsh, Jesus? Well, Jesus is asking this man to count the cost in a different way. This man is to consider the urgency of the kingdom. This man is to consider what it means to follow Jesus with single minded devotion. And we've got to ask ourselves the same question, don't we? Are are we following Jesus, but only when life slows down, or I have all the experiences in life that I want, or we have a cautious approach to following Jesus? I'll follow you, Jesus, but fill in the gap. Now this idea of not burying loved ones is actually a bit of a biblical theme. A couple of the prophets, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, speak about how uh, the messenger of God's word will often have to be the one who is not able to bury their own dead. It's part of being a prophet. It speaks to the urgency of the kingdom of God. And this man, well, is he willing to consider the cost in following Jesus? Is he willing to consider single-minded devotion to Him. what about us? For the most part, we've come to follow the Lord Jesus. But have we counted the cost? Have we counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus with single-minded devotion, ready to put aside all other things in order to serve and follow Him? See, we must count the cost. And we must count the cost and recognise that it's actually a cost that is worth paying. See, Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, he doesn't ask us to give him a part of our life. Or a smidge of our allegiance. Or a dot of our ways. But all of our hearts. And while we might end up living in ways that are similar to the world around us, we live so for a very different reason. And that's a high cost, isn't it? To give away our life to follow Jesus. To give up our way of life to follow Jesus. To give up our decisions and allegiance to our own life to follow Jesus. In a YOLO, you only live once world. This is challenging. To think that maybe this following Jesus' business might lead us to be homeless or to lead us to have conflict with others or to to lead us into hardship in any way or even to lead us to death. As unlikely as that is for us, that is the call that Jesus puts on our life. And when we think about it in this way, the cost is very high to give up our own life, to follow the Lord Jesus. But this is what he calls for. And yet, The cost of following Jesus, it's smart. It's a smart cost. See, nothing that we pay out now in the cost of following Jesus, nothing will be not paid back infinitely in the era of the resurrection. Whatever following Jesus costs you now, It will be paid back infinitely in the era of the resurrection. And so the question is this. What do you value more? Your best life now? Or the delayed gratification of an infinitely better era in the resurrection? Now we don't know in the end what these two men did. We don't know what they decided to do. But it's been written here by Matthew. Written here by the Lord God himself in order that we might address our own following of Jesus. But what links this to the next little section of Scripture is the fact that the disciples did follow Jesus. Look at verse 23. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Finally, they get to the boat after being interrupted by these two men and they finally get to the boat and they follow Jesus. And then again, there's a classic passage, isn't it, of the, the storm. The storm that's there, Jesus is asleep, it's being swamped by the waves. The fishermen are professionals, they should know how to deal with it, but they're fearing for their life. If you've been in church any length of time, you'll have heard this over and over again, this passage of Scripture. But what is it about? Well, so often this passage is, is made to suggest that we all have storms in our life. And Jesus is able to calm the storm in your life. Well, stemming from the very early church fathers, this passage has been understood as uh, the church is like the boat. If we get in the boat and Jesus is with us in the boat, then we'll be able to sail through life's storms in the church. But neither of these are what this passage is talking about. The focus here is is not about us, but about, about Jesus. We see here Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. He has the authority over nature, just as we saw last week. He had the authority to cleanse and the authority to heal. But as we slow down in this passage that perhaps we know so well, we find it to be a little curious. Come with me, let's have a look a closer look at verse 25. Verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus will go on to say in a moment in verse 26 that they have little faith. But does that confuse you? After all, they've followed Jesus. And now they're calling out to him for help in a humble and genuine way. It seems like faith to me. So what's going on here in this passage? We'll look again at Jesus' response in verse 26. Bear in mind, the wind and the waves are going on like crazy. These professional fishermen are in a boat and scared for their lives. And verse 26, Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. You find Jesus' response strange? A life threatening storm. And he just has to make sure he gives them a little mini sermon first. (laughs) Why do that? It's curious, isn't it? Why not just fix the storm and then deal with the problem later? Talk to them about what you want to talk to them about later. What's, What's going on here? Well, the focus of this passage is to show us. That the disciples' faith is deeply connected to who they understand Jesus to be. Yes, they followed Jesus. Yes, they asked Jesus to save them. Yes, their faith is genuine. Of that there is no doubt. But it's an immature faith. It's a limited faith. It's not a full faith in any way. Look at verse 27. The men marvelled, saying, What sort of man is this? That even the winds and the sea... Obey Him. See, they get it. Jesus can fix stuff and do all this amazing stuff because He's got authority, but they don't really understand who He is. Mm -hmm. They follow Jesus. They know that He can save them, but they don't really understand the content of His character. They don't understand His power, His authority, His greatness, the fact that He is God with them. See, Jesus is concerned in this passage not with fixing the storm first, but fixing their perception of who he is first. The story is told of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson going camping. The story is told that they pitch their tents under the stars and go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, Holmes and Watson wake up. Sherlock Holmes says to Watson Watson look up at the stars and tell me what you deduce and Watson says to him I see millions of stars and even if a few of those have planets it's quite likely that there are some planets like earth and if there are some planets like earth out there there might also be life and Sherlock Holmes thanks Rich. I know what you're saying too Sherlock Holmes says no Watson you idiot someone's stolen our tent (laughs) apparently that's, is that where you thought it was going, yeah. yeah, that's right. You can see it coming. Apparently that's been voted the world's funniest joke. No, I'm not going to go that far. I think that's a, that's a bit far. Um, but it's an exercise in missing the point, isn't it? An exercise in missing the point. These men here in this boat are in danger of missing the point, And so are we. If we think this passage is all about how Jesus is going to calm the storms of our life, we're missing the point. Because the point is not about that, the point is about who Jesus is and the connection between faith and knowledge of Jesus. These men have little faith precisely because they do not understand properly who Jesus is. It's an exercise in missing the point. It's it's missing the point for us to say that Jesus will overcome the storms in our life or we should trust him when it happens. And as true as all of those things are, that's not what this passage is saying to us. Here, we are to see the direct link between weak faith and a low knowledge of who Jesus is. Yes, weak faith is still true faith. There's no doubt about it. These disciples were saved people, to put it that way. It's a fledgling faith. But Jesus wants more for his disciples in the boat than just a fledgling faith. And he wants more for us than just a fledgling faith as well. He wants us to grow in our faith which will mean by definition a, a growing knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has come to do. Which lays the challenge down to us doesn't it? Sometimes we have this uh, horrible way of thinking that there's head knowledge and heart knowledge and they're somehow disconnected from each other and We've got to do the job of connecting them together. But the Bible doesn't ever talk in any such ways. To know the Lord God is an exercise of trusting Him. And we'll see more of that in a minute. But it lays the challenge down to us to understand God's Word more. This is why the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 is so important. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 for the Ephesian church that they might grow in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so must we. What a wonderful prayer to pray for each other that we might know the Lord Jesus more so that our faith might grow. That's what we see here as Jesus calms the storm. And he encourages us to grow in our faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our final little section, a bit about the pigs, in verses 28 to 34. We're struck, aren't we, by the the demons and the pigs? It's so far outside our our experiences. And so we're drawn in by the story right to begin with. But notice, unlike the disciples, it's the demons who understand Jesus perfectly. Verse 29, Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? The demons know perfectly who Jesus is. These demons have been living somehow, dwelling inside these two men, giving them superhuman strength around the area of the tombs. And now for us, we're fascinated by this demon stuff, aren't we? We'd like to know a little bit more about that. Maybe you'd like to ask a question about it. But the point of this passage, again, is not for us to know more about demons, but to contrast the fact that the disciples didn't know who Jesus was, verse 27, and the demons do. But knowing who Jesus is, They don't run towards him, do they, the demons? They're terrified. And they want to get away from Jesus as quickly as they can. See, the Christian faith is about knowing the Lord Jesus and trusting the Lord Jesus. And the greater knowledge, the greater trust we can have. But it's not ever been about a naked knowledge of the Lord Jesus. These disciples have a naked knowledge of the Lord Jesus and they have no desire to trust him, obey him, or run to him at all. They want to run in the opposite direction. They say, Let us away from him. Jesus' power is unmatched, isn't it? Verse 32 How does he get rid of the demons out of the people? One word go. As powerful as that. And they go into the pigs, over into the water, into the abyss, the chaos of the dead as the ancients thought of it, and they're destroyed. Well, why are they thrown into the pigs? Well, the passage doesn't tell us. They're in a Gentile area, so the Gentiles were dealing in unclean animals, so this was part of their economy of the day. Nevertheless, we're not told, they're put into the pigs and they run off the edge of the cliff. The big point here, though, is that they know who Jesus is and they run away. Meanwhile, Jesus has done a great thing for these two men who are now freed from their demonic activity. And they're set free to live a normal life once again. And of course, as has happened in the earlier part of chapter 8, news about this spreads. Jesus has done this amazing thing. Look at verse 33. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened. To the demon-possessed men, it's amazing what Jesus has done. This is incredible. But look at what happens in verse 34. Behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Here we see Jesus bringing cost and loss to the community, and as a result, the people want to drive Jesus away. Being confronted with who Jesus really is in this case causes them to be Driven away. Get out of here, Jesus. The demons want to get away from Jesus. The people want Jesus to get away from them. This is often what happens, isn't it? When people come into contact with Jesus, they really like Jesus to get out of their life. Because there's a perceived loss or cost that comes if we take Jesus seriously. This is what happens, isn't it, in today's world. Many people have heard about Jesus, but they will not accept the cost. They see Jesus as taking away from them, removing their economy from them like these men in the ancient worlds. And we see it a different way. We think uh, if we follow Jesus, Jesus will actually remove all the good times in my life. Isn't this how oftentimes uh, younger people who have grown up in the church think about things? I cannot possibly follow Jesus. He will remove all the good times from my life. He'll take away my autonomy, my ability to live my life my own way. He'll take my time. He'll take my energy. And so we know who Jesus is and we push him away. But I hope you can see that's not the response that this passage is pushing us to. With the crowds following around Jesus. These two men at the beginning ask to follow him and Jesus lays out the cost. The disciples in faith follow the Lord Jesus but they don't really understand who he is. Their faith needs to be strengthened. And the people in the Gadarenes area, in the Gentile area want Jesus to go away because they do understand who he is. So why are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus enthusiastically and not counting the cost? Or do you have a fledgling faith that's not quite as strong as it should be because it's not matched with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus that He's given to us in His Word? Or are you pushing Jesus away because you've seen who He is and you don't want to count the cost and and you see Jesus as not giving to us but taking from us? This passage says to us, count the cost. Understand who Jesus really is. Grow in your knowledge of Him and know this, whatever the cost is in this world, the result in the resurrection age is we will be paid back infinitely better for following our Saviour who died for us. We might like to ask a question as we finish up uh, today. I'm going to put uh, a slide on the screen that's going to give you the details of how to ask a question and I'll be back in a little bit to do that. Okay, a couple of questions that have come through. Thank you for asking them. Uh, the first is, you mentioned that the Bible doesn't talk in terms of connected head and heart knowledge. Can you explain this a little bit more? Uh, yes, the heart in the Bible is the centre of our being. It's not the emotions like we think of it today. We think of our heart as, I love you with all my heart, meaning my emotions or something like that. But it's actually the centre of our being. And when we actually understand properly... Uh, what Jesus has done for us it should shape the centre of our being the core of our being so um, there's there's not a distinction that there's knowledge in your head and knowledge in your heart there's sort of a we, we like to say you can know stuff but if you don't feel about it then it's not the same thing the Bible doesn't talk in those terms when Jesus uh, is in the core of your being everything's affected um, so that uh, yeah, we, we think in those different terms of, of head and heart with our feelings and our knowledge and we think they're kind of almost pitted against each other. The Bible doesn't talk in those terms. Uh, second thing, was agreeing to send the demons into the pits an act of compassion or something else? Um, maybe. I, I guess that the passage doesn't actually tell us, does it? It doesn't tell us why the demons needed it. Why couldn't they just go? It doesn't actually tell us why. Um, so it's hard to know. Um, but... Yeah, there is a there is a sense in which there's a bit of a cost related to this problem that needs to be fixed. needs uh, needs to be fixed with a cost. I don't know if there's something to that. Um, that uh, that you know this idea of to fix this problem of the, the, the sinfulness in these men that, that, that something has to die for that. I don't know if Jesus is trying to tell us something about that, but the passage just doesn't tell us. We'd have to speculate otherwise, and it's hard to it's hard to tell. Um, shouldn't our motivation not to be to get more or better things in the age to come? This seems very self-oriented. Uh, that's true, absolutely. Um, uh, it could be like that, except that what we get in the age to come is an unfettered relationship with Jesus. That's the good thing. That's the great thing. Um, and so that we would desire that is, is not a problem. God's given us that very good desire. Um, uh, so that 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 is the case is is what we would aim for. Uh, and I don't think that's self-oriented. That that's a uh, Uh, hopefully glorifying to God in that way Um, uh, two more do you think Jesus' disciples were uh, recognising simply that Jesus had the power over nature and also over death they clearly did didn't they because they said save us Lord we are perishing so they recognised that he had the power um, and they recognised that uh, he was probably willing to do it except that he was asleep in the boat Um, but there's this connection between having little faith and not knowing who he is that Matthew wants to draw out for us and so uh, he wants us uh, to understand more and more and more about him. They don't really get him, and they, they miss the point on him uh, as time goes on. Uh, last one: Does the new Does New Testament <coughs> regard pigs as unclean? Uh, no, but this uh, the Gospels are always tricky. So um, you always the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John they exist in the New Testament, but you have to regard them always as a bit of an as Old Testament books actually, because they sit in the Old Testament era right? Before they actually all sit before the cross. So you have to think about them in that way. So at the time of writing, yes, this would have, or at the time of uh, happening, this would have been an unclean animal. But we remember from the book of Acts that Peter is given the vision from God about the the sheep coming down and all the different animals and and God says, I've declared all these things clean now. And so that's there in the New Testament as well. So uh, at this time, yes, they were unclean. Uh, After that, in the book of Acts, no, they become, become clean, become able to be eaten so go and enjoy your bacon at lunchtime <laughs> <laughs> or all the time I'm going to pray Heavenly Father thank you for showing us more of who Jesus is uh, we thank you that he calls us to follow him uh, and he calls us to follow him understanding who he is and entrusting ourselves to him please Heavenly Father help us to count the cost of following Jesus not to push him away uh, when we feel that he is taking from us but to see the salvation that he has given to us and to grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our final song. It's a song we've been learning. over.